When a flock of birds drop dead, science thinks they know the answer. But do they even have a clue? And then we take a look at a bizarre conspiracy involving football. Is it possible that the entire NFL is based around one goal? Pooping in your food. And then we finish out the week with a truly terrifying story of a young boy left at home alone. He thought he was just going to have a nice relaxing day listening to some music. Instead, his life ends. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. Just a heads up, some quick housekeeping. I am still looking for people to submit. We got a lot of submissions already, but if you want to be on an episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, all I need to do is to have you chant out Earth first, Earth first, Earth first, and we're going to remix. There's a reason for that. If this is your first episode, you're like, what? What, what am I listening to? We're going to remix all of you guys into a classic episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, Earth first. If you want to hear that episode, I'll put it in the show notes. You have until January 31st. I moved up the date because it's the holidays. You have until January 31st to email me a recording of you chanting Earth First. Email it to deadrabbitradio at gmail.com and just add permission that I'm able to use that sound clip. We are going to create this awesome soundscape with you, the Fluffle, in an episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. So don't forget, January 31st is the deadline for that. Also, take a look at this awesome fan art we have for Fan Art Friday. This is from Nick Buston. Nick Buston, longtime Patreon supporter, very active on the Patreon Discord, and appears, hangs out with us when we do the live episodes on Sunday morning for the Patreon people, so that is so awesome. Nick, I really love this. It's the first time we're seeing this version, a 3D version of the Dead Rabbit Radio logo. Absolutely love it. And we always always got to give a shout out to Ash Black, who actually designed that logo. So thank you, Ash Black. But Nick, what a great rendition of it. Really, really enjoy that. And then let's give a shout out to one of our Thanksgiving livestream supporters who helps the show so much. Give it up for Cantillions. Cantillions, also a longtime Patreon supporter. Cantillions, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show really Really helps out a lot. Now, Cantillions, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jet. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to Spain. Now, this might be too fast of a vehicle because we're actually going to be talking about birds. I wanted something in the air, but we have a dirigible. We have a copter. But I want to get there fast. Let's fly in this fast, fast jet. We're headed out to Spain. Specifically, we're headed out to Feral, Spain. That's where all the crazy people live. They're all hairy and they run around. Feral, Spain. It's November 26th, 2021. So fairly recent story. We're at the Juan Cardona Hospital. We're walking around the outside of Juan Cardona Hospital. And it's in the middle of the afternoon. It's a beautiful Spain day. And there's trees near the hospital. 
And in those trees are birds. It's starlings, to be exact. I don't know what a starling sounds like. And we're standing there and watching these birds in this tree. And there's a lot of other people milling about. Now, we're here because something weird's going to happen. That's why you're listening to this podcast. The people just going about their day on November 26th, they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea why all these handsome people are wearing Dead Rabbit Radio flight suits. Standing in the middle of their parking lot. And then all of a sudden, 200 starlings fly out of these trees and they're briefly in the air and then they begin to drop dead people watching this said exactly what i just said i'll just reiterate it they go up in the air and they just seem to fall out of the sky and no one can understand this and I'm reading this article. I was reading this article on Coast to Coast AM's website, and they had these links in it. And they go, this is also really similar to something that happened in Wales in December 10th of 2019. So I went back and looked at that article. And that article, this resident, this local to this area in Wales, was driving near the village of Boderdern. And they see a flock of starlings flying through the sky. And they're like, oh, how beautiful is nature? Because they just swarm in these elegant kind of formations. But on their way back home, there's hundreds of dead birds, starlings, laying across the street. They call the authorities up. Because here's the question, whenever you find these dead birds, you're afraid that it's chemical. That there's something in the air. Now, there are bird die-offs like this that are connected to chemicals. But this one in Wales, they did autopsies on 35 of them. You know, they just take them at random. They said these guys died from blunt force trauma, so everything's okay. And in that article on the Coast to Coast AM, it goes, this is also similar to something happened in Canada back in 2018. So I'm clicking on that one. And that one is pretty much what we talked about. A guy is walking down the beach and he just sees starlings falling out of the sky. Now, what's interesting is in that case as well, the coroner, the bird coroner says they just smashed into the ground. That's how they died. But the question is, why are they smashing into the ground? And this is something, it's so funny, I read this litany of articles this weekend, and I thought, bird, mass bird die-offs, it's so, it's talked about in the news all the time, I would normally not cover it, it's it's unfortunate if you're a bird, but for other people it's just kind of inconvenient, because now they're driving home and their car's like, but like, I'm sure the coyotes love this type of thing. So So I never really paid much attention to it. But the fact is that nobody knows what's causing this. What's interesting is the one in Wales, they go, well, what we think is because the starlings fly in formation, they usually follow the lead bird. And if you had a giant predator up here, all the starlings panic, they fly out of the trees, and then they crashed into the ground because the leader got so scared, he led the entire thing on some sort of kamikaze mission right into... It's not even kamikaze, because kamikaze, you kill the predator coming after you. They just smash into the ground and die. But remember, that one didn't have a witness. So you could say, yeah, sure, maybe a predator showed up. In the Canadian one on the beach, there was a guy sitting there, and he goes, I was sitting there on the beach, and all of a sudden, birds just started falling out of the sky. And the answer for that was, oh, a predator must have shown up and scared them into the ground. And he's probably like, uh, I mean, a whale, maybe? I didn't see any large predator. And now we have this one in Spain with multiple witnesses in the middle of the day at a hospital. And they said they just fell out of the sky. 
And it'll be interesting to see how long they go. Oh, there must have been a, a a unknown large predator in the area that nobody at the nobody at the hospital saw, and it didn't get picked up on any security cameras. Just it was that. This is really interesting because I always did also brush this off. But what is killing these birds? What's causing these birds to just fall out of the sky? I know we've had bird die-offs before, and most of the time it is done without people seeing them. They just wake up to all these birds. So I don't know. Honestly, I'm thinking I'm thinking they're bumping into some sort of invisible object. The most likely thing, I guess, honestly to me, the most likely thing is these guys are being chemically poisoned. And they're dying because they hit the ground, but the poison. I mean, poison may not kill you, but I wouldn't recommend driving a car while you're on it. If you drank some industrial paint or got some waste in your lungs, it may not kill you outright, but the car accident, if you're driving to the hospital because you're sick as a dog, or sick as a bird in this case. So what is killing these birds? Fascinating, fascinating story. And it's one of those ones I don't think we'll have any answer for it. I just wanted to kind of highlight it because we have these mass die-offs as people are looking at them. And science will come up with an answer. The question is, is it the right one? I mean, anyone can come up with a answer. Cantillions, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Rowboat. We're going to leave behind Spain. We're going to row all the way back to America. Specifically, we're headed... To Santa Monica, I think, is where this guy's at. Heave ho, splash. Heave ho, splash. Rowing that boat all the way back to Spain. Cantillion's the brave captain of this party vessel. The reason why we're headed out to Santa Monica, because we're about to meet the most lovable face-stealing hobo you could ever hope to meet. Once again, we're going to look at the life of Max Kramer. Max Kramer, we've done a couple episodes on already. Homeless man slash video game developer slash philosopher of our age. Because the stuff that he comes up with is just... Mwah. It's what I like to describe as organized insanity. It's the ramblings of a madman, but he's able to put it into proper grammar and host it on a website. Now, this story was brought to me by Oogs. Oogs, thank you so much for the countless hours of Max Kramerisms. He's still around. He's still active. Um, I Like I said before, I have not even gotten through all of the stuff he wrote back in the early 2000s. But he is a mind outside of society. Let's go ahead and take a look at this stuff. Because when you are a man outside of the norm, the first thing you're going to see is the hidden codes. Because I'm seeing like Pepsi billboards and Coca-Cola trucks driving by with those massive advertisements. And my mouth is salivating as I'm thinking of a grilled cheese burrito. That's a new thing. That's a new thing that Taco Bell has. It's grilled cheese. It's uh, exactly what it sounds like. But I'm a simple man. I'm a man who lives into base desires, right? I just sit there and I see this food and I want to consume it. I'm, I'm the ultimate consumer. What television show is going to show me an ad next? I can't see the code. So I just eat I just eat this fast food, this grease, these oils. I don't understand what I'm putting in my body, but Max Kramer does. Max Kramer knows what I'm putting in my body. He's probably hiding in my closet and he takes little notes. The dude is a madman. He once threatened to wear our skin and attack our children. So <laughs> so he is nuts. Well, let's take a look because he's broke the code here. It, you got to be nuts. You got to want to steal my skin to realize that Wendy's, you know that delicious restaurant called Wendy's with the Frosties? Wendy's actually means when dies. So when you go to a Wendy's, what you're doing is you're eating humans. 
you are now officially a cannibal. If you've, if you've ever eaten in Wendy's in your life, which I just admitted I have, you're eating when dies. This is where they take people, and when they die, they cut, in, they cut them up into square hamburgers. Now, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what he thinks about Burger King's Whopper because it involves a racial slur against my Italian brother and sisters. But he thinks that the Whopper is made of you. If you're Italian, without saying the slur, he believes that when you're eating a Whopper from Burger King, you're actually eating Italian people. So you go, you're like, you know what? I'm done being a cannibal. I'm not going to go to Burger King anymore because I don't like Italian. I'm not going to go to Wendy's because I don't like eating humans. I'm going to go to McDonald's. Well, be careful what you order at a McDonald's because did you know that a Big Mac is what you're actually eating You're actually eating a Jewish warrior, a Maccabee, a Jewish priestly warrior from the early 2nd century. So you're wondering why that tasted so, so stale. It's because the meat is from like 168 BC. So he has this thing. If you haven't noticed the theme yet, that fast food restaurants sell human meat. If you get, but let's say you don't want to go to fast food restaurant. Let's say you just want to go to your local submarine sandwich shop. Well, hold on. Max Kramer jumps out of the bushes and goes, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? A submarine sandwich means, the submarine part means this is meat from people. You're like, damn it, Max. Can we just eat something that isn't human? And he's like, no, not if you eat food. If you take, if you capture an enemy's submarine, which is like, what? talking about right if you capture an enemy submarine because there's so many of those floating around nowadays you capture an enemy submarine and you turn those people into meat that's a submarine sandwich that's what they mean by they say that you're eating that would (laughs) there would only be like a hundred of these sandwiches produced every year there's not that many people in submarines max you take these submarine people and turn them into a submarine Sandwich, but what's curious is that sandwich actually means a witch from the Middle East. So I don't know a lot about the Middle East, their military capabilities, but I'm pretty sure submarines aren't high on the list. I'm pretty sure there is not enough submarines owned by Israel, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, any of these countries, Egypt... They might have some, but I don't think it's enough to provide meat for all of these Subway sandwich shops out there that sell submarine sandwiches. Oh, and by the way, Subway, if you thought about going there, it doesn't mean eat fresh. It actually means they take people who have died in underground train crashes. And when's the last time you heard about that? He actually, okay, I'm giving him a little bit of credit because I'm saying underground train crashes as in a subway. He actually specified the underground railroad. And I'm assuming he does not think that you're eating Harriet Tubman when you go to subway. I'm thinking he meant underground train crashes and not meat from the 1800s. Could be wrong. So you want to go to In-N-Out? You're like, Jason, no, I just want the segment to end. I don't want to talk about eating people anymore. We're sitting in an In-N-Out restaurant. They take the meat from prisoners. Because you get it, prisoners, the revolving door, the school to prison pipeline. It's not just words. Those are slogans for In-N-Out Burger. Jack in the Box. Jack in the Coffin. Carl's Jr. I didn't know this. Again, I'm not a huge scholar on... World War II era Europe or the Nazis or, you know, anything like that. So I don't know if this is true. (laughs) I highly doubt it. I think this is very, very suspicious. 
But Carl's Jr., the restaurant Carl's Jr., means Nazis. So now I love Carl's Jr., so I hope that doesn't say anything about me, but Carl's Jr. means Nazis. They do have the best barbecue sauce, not the Nazis, Carl's Jr. The reason why Carl's Jr. means Nazis to Max Kramer is because Jews in Nazi Germany were called Juniors. Now, I don't think that's true. I don't, again, I'm not a huge scholar on the Holocaust, but I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure that is not a fact. I don't think anyone was like, get the juniors over here. I don't think so. But again, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. He could actually know more about that than I do. He ends up wrapping up the list by telling us that Domino's, the last place we could probably eat at this point, Domino's means, well, Dom, again, I don't know if this is true. But Dom means blood in Hebrew. So when you say, I want to eat Domino's pizza, what you're actually saying, what you're actually telling the universe is you want bloody nose. <laughs> you want bloody nose pizza. Because you're saying blood in nose pizza when you want Domino's pizza. Now you know all these restaurants. Now you know all of this stuff that you didn't want to know. That there's a guy walking around the streets of America today thinking that when he sees you walking out of Carl's Jr., you just ate a bunch of Jewish people. And he's looking at you and he's judging you because he thinks you're a cannibal who supports Nazi empires. Let's see what, let's see what he has to say about the NFL. Let's see what he has to say about the National Football League. He starts off kind of strong on this one. He says this. I'll agree with this. I'll agree with this first part. He says that football is a way to represent war. I don't think that's a groundbreaking statement. That basically we are such a conflict-driven species and we have tribalism and we love to beat other people that we've turned that aggression into sports where I can go from my town and you can go from your town. And we can watch our two combatants fight against each other. It's modern-day gladiatorial combat without people's heads getting rolled off. Totally agree with him. But then he, of course, takes it to the next level. But the point isn't just a physical confrontation. This is where Max Kramer takes it. He sees it as a punishment. So what? this is what's actually going on when you watch a football game. You're not watching two armies fight. Because we did that already. This is two armies trying to throw poop into each other's food. Here's a quote from him. And he's trying to explain a football game, but he also sees it as us trying to poop in the enemy's supply lines. So if you have the Seattle Seahawks versus the Dallas Cowboys, every time they get down to do the hut-hut hike thing, the quarterback, what he's actually symbolizing is poop his poop coming out of his butthole. You're like, Jason, of course, I know that. You just want to keep talking about poop, don't you? He's pooping into his hands. That football is excrement. And then his entire team has one goal, to get his poop into the mouths of the enemy. <laughs> Jason, I've watched a lot of football. I've never seen anyone eat a football. This is how he explains it. If one doesn't have a toilet, this is an actual quote from him. If one does, to the remaining listeners, this is a quote. If one doesn't have a toilet, it must squat down and balance the self with one outstretched hand on the ground to make the ball of feces fall to the feet. If all the food is not digested, 
Perhaps a quarter comes back to the plate. Quarterback. That's that's what that term means? You didn't know what you do now? The food goes down the line in factories. The touchdown in the end zone represents feces in the mouth and the stomach. He goes on to say that this does symbolize that no matter what side of the battle you're on, you've probably eaten feces and urine. Because people are constantly making touchdowns, and what they're symbolizing is that the Seattle Seahawks went to the Dallas Cowboys Stadium and pooped in all their food. And then, once again, one of the most bizarre things about Max Kramer, I actually forgot until I was reading this all the way through just now, he goes on to say that he ha- he does not think black people are real. It is one of the weird. It is one of the weirdest quirks, and I don't think I've really dove into it because he just kind of ends conspiracy theories like that. I haven't found the full one, but he believes that black people are actually Asians. Might be specifically Korean, but he believes that black people are actually Asians painted black to turn him gay. And that even pops up here. I was when I was reading through this, he says that feces and urine appear to be in most food while people painted black celebrate and act like fools. But he thinks they're actually Asian men who are trying to seduce him. The the, the dude is nuts. It's funny because sometimes I feel like I, I talk about him too much. And other times I'm like, we have barely scratched the surface with this guy. I really need to find out why. I mean, can I ever? He's still alive. I would actually love to talk to the guy. Yeah, it's just so bizarre. And I, I just find it so interesting because I am into hidden symbols and codes. I don't talk about it a lot on this show, but I am into like hidden symbols and codes and not ARG things, but like what we see in the world around us and how it works and how it affects people. I really do think about all that stuff. And he takes that to the nth degree. I've never walked past the McDonald's and thought, I wonder how many Jewish people are being eaten in there. Um, I would assume the answer is always zero, so I never need to think about it. But yeah, what a different breed. Max Kramer, so bizarre. So, so bizarre. There's no other way to end that segment other than to toss Cantillions. The keys of the Carboner Copter were leaving behind Santa Monica. We're headed all the way out to Poland. I wanted to give another shout out. I did another podcast recently called The Asylum Case Studies. And it was me and the host, Tressa. We watched the the Asylum movie, Three-Headed Shark Attack. Asylum makes these really goofy, that's being nice, these really goofy straight-to-sci-fi channel movies. And I really enjoy Three-Headed Shark Attack. That's a lot of fun. So if you guys want some more Dead Rabbit to listen to this weekend, I am on Tressa's show, The Asylum Case Studies. And if you love bad movies and if you love the culture of bad movies, definitely give that a try. It's a really cool podcast. As we're headed out to Poland... We also got to go back in time. So Cantillians, hit that time travel button and take us back to the month of July 1948. Carboner Copter is flying over the Poland countryside. Specifically, we're going to Sosnowik in Poland. It's a bright summer afternoon. It's harvest time in the village. And everyone's getting their sickles and their little clamps and stuff like that. And they're walking out to where the corn is or the wheat or whatever the, whatever they're growing in Poland. And they leave behind a young boy. Let's call him Timmy. He's a 12-year-old kid. And he is left behind in the village to... According to this report, he was left behind to guard his house. Which, 
I don't know about that. I mean, if everyone in the village is leaving, he's the only one here. Who's he guarding it from? It's. I'm almost thinking that this kid, they could have been like, oh, we don't want him back in the field. All these guys are all cut up when he was just doing that scything accident. He was just scything blindly. Cutting down that wheat, baby. I got to do it fast. <laughs> Other people are like walking around with no arms. So they leave Timmy at home. And he's sitting there. He's like, well, if I'm going to guard the house, I'm going to do the best Dosh Garn house guarding I can do. And he does that for about 10 minutes, and he gets super bored. And he goes inside. He goes, I'm just going to go listen to music. Now, it's 1948. I actually didn't know this existed. And maybe this is a huge plot hole in this presumably true story. But he goes up to listen to the radio, and he had headphones. Did they have headphones in 1948? And more specifically, did they have headphones in 1948 in Poland? I don't know. I don't know. I probably should check that out. Let me Let me check it out real quick. When were headphones invented? 1910. Okay, so they would have had headphones. Okay, that makes the story. I was really iffy on the story, honestly. I was going to tell it anyways, but I just want to bring it up. So it could have happened. Not that that's the most strange thing. I'm like, see you guys later. Have a good weekend. That's not the strangest thing of the story. He's sitting there and he puts on the headphones and he turns on the music and there's no music coming out of the radio. Instead, he's hit with a strange, unbearable sound. Coming out of the radio. He takes off the headphones. And he can still hear the noise. And he's looking down at his headphones and he's thinking, this must be really loud. If without these headphones on, I can still hear it pretty clear. And then he realizes it's coming from outside. He stands up and he walks to the window and he opens it up. Outside what he sees are two humanoid entities. They both have thin, short bodies with large, disproportionate heads, black, piercing eyes, too large to be a human's. These are what we would describe as gray aliens nowadays. And these two creatures in the middle of the day are standing there in silvery, shimmering, skin-tight outfits. Now, they don't notice him. They don't notice him looking out the window and seeing these guys. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Simply seeing these two inhuman figures causes him to go into shock and then fall unconscious. Hours pass. Remember, everyone else is out doing the harvest. His parents eventually come home. They're like, someone was supposed to guard our house. What's going on here? Where's the guard? They go in and they find their son unconscious on the floor and he is revived. And the first thing out of his mouth is, I saw the devil. I forgot to, I forgot to add to this part. One of them, one of them, one of these aliens, which he doesn't identify them as aliens. Aliens aren't really known in 1948 at all, especially in rural Poland. But he's looking at one of these aliens and he had horns on his head. He had devil horns on his head. Now, UFOologists today wonder if what he was seeing was a gray alien with a helmet on, a horned helmet on, or if this alien did have devil horns just grow naturally. 
Which would be unusual for gray aliens. That's something that's not normally associated with them. But it doesn't matter to this kid whether or not he was wearing a horned helmet or actually had horns. I saw the devil. For the rest of his life, and he did not have an easy life, he blamed all of his misfortunes on these devils. He believed that everything that ever went wrong in his life could be connected to seeing these two creatures standing outside of his window. Every illness, every failure, every unhappy moment in his life, it was the curse of the devils that caused it. No matter what he did, he couldn't overcome that infernal curse. I got this story from Albert Rosales' Humanoid Report. It's a really, really cool depository of this information. It'll be in the show notes. They got it directly from a email. They Someone emailed them this story. It was just someone telling the story that had happened in their village from Poland. So take it with a grain of salt. But I think you can say that about any paranormal story. You can say that about any story you read in the newspaper nowadays, actually. But... Looking at the story, it's really, I really find the story curious, and I think it's a good way to end the week. On Monday's episode, I mentioned that there's a certain powerlessness that comes to meeting the paranormal. You're interacting with something that is so beyond humanity that we can talk about punching gray aliens in the face or doing exorcisms and making demons run away into the darkness, and those things do happen. But the overriding accounts of paranormal, a lot of times it's the humans who do the running away, right? We are very powerless in this paranormal aspect, be it a cryptid chasing us down or a ghost trying to scare us. We're always trying to navigate around them. We have to adjust our lives for them. So there is this powerlessness. And imagine all this kid did, all he did was look out the window and it drove him mad. It drove him to the point that whenever something didn't go right in his life, he believed it was because he looked out a window. The first thing I want to remind everyone who's listening to this is be careful what you wish for. Because a lot of people, I see this a lot in the paranormal community, where they go, I've never seen a ghost, I've never had a paranormal experience, but I really want to have one. You see that a lot when you're looking in the paranormal community. They are fans of the subject matter and they kind of wish that it would happen to them. Be careful what you wish for. You may get a gray alien showing up and teaching you peace, love, and kindness. You may get a ghostly visitation from a past loved one telling you everything's okay. You can also just as easily get a demonically possessed monster rampaging around your house or seeing something so incomprehensible And that's what a gray alien would be. A lot of times we look at pictures and we look at movies like Paul and we're seeing these X-Files versions of them and that's all makeup and CGI. You To see something that has not evolved on the planet Earth, I truly think would break your brain. You can look at the weirdest animal on Earth and go, but that's still evolved here. It's still part of our DNA. Something that came from another planet, it would just, and if it's from an interdimensional realm, which gray aliens very well may be, it's even more mind boggling. So be careful what you wish for, because you may see something that drives you insane. Also, the second thing to take away from is he didn't wish for this. He didn't wish for this at all. There's no aliens, gray aliens were not a thing in 1948. That imagery was not out there in the mass populace. 
he saw something. He didn't want to see it. He wasn't reading these sci-fi magazines. He wasn't looking forward to Tales from the Crypt being invented so he could read it in the 1960s. He just walked by a window and saw something so shocking he passed out. And then he believes for the rest of his life everything that went wrong was because of this visitation. So it's not just about be careful what you wish for. It's about be careful where you exist. But then there's one other way. There's one other thing that I find very fascinating about this story. Is that we do have to look at the skeptical side of things. And the most realistic answer is he looked out his window and he saw a trick of the light. He saw something that was something else. Maybe he fell asleep. Maybe he had sleep paralysis. Maybe it was some normal event. And it still broke his brain. He looks out of his window at a particular time, and for whatever reason, his mind conjures up. His imagination creates the image of these two short, skinny people with big heads and black eyes wearing skin-tight, silvery suits. It's not real. It's not real. Any skeptic in the world, and most scientists, most normal people would say, this story isn't real. There are no such thing as gray aliens or aliens in general, and they're definitely not hanging out in Poland to be spotted by one person in a village. They just don't exist. So he didn't see anything. And to me, that is even more tragic. That's even more disturbing. Because that means that the human mind is so frail that you can look out your window and there's nothing there. But your mind creates something, whether it is imagination, whether it is a dream, whether it is a trick of the light, you're looking at something from a weird angle. It didn't exist. He saw it and it drove him insane anyways. What's worse, spending the rest of your life blaming every failure on a bizarre pair of creatures standing outside your house and their energy, their darkness infused the rest of your life and no matter what you did, you can never succeed in anything. What is more scary, that or looking out your window at a perfectly normal pastoral setting and simply because he's standing at the wrong angle and something catches the light in just the right way, his mind imagines devils. His own mind drove him insane. Because of a trick of the light, the rest of his life was miserable. What's worse, being driven mad by a vision of aliens or being driven mad by nothing? At least the aliens, you figure you would be one of the few special individuals in human history who has seen alien life. Maybe that's worth going mad for. Maybe it's not really, I wouldn't want to do it, but maybe that's worth spending the rest of your life wishing what could have been if you hadn't seen that infernal duo. But at least you saw something. In a skeptic's world, in the plausible world, he looked out his window and there was nothing there. And his life was miserable for nothing. 
His failures continued to mount, and he blamed nothing. That small patch of land outside of his house contained no alien presence. But he still felt it. It still scarred him. And to the bitter end, he blamed every bad thing in his life on something that never existed. I guess the lesson here is, when you hear the bump in the night, when you hear the rummaging through the closet, when you see something moving in the distance just by the tree line as you're driving home, simply by looking, simply by turning your head to see where that sound came from or where that blur moved, you are risking your own psyche. You are risking your mind. You may see something that absolutely breaks your hold on reality and will spend the rest of your life cursing the moment you made that decision. But in this case, we've learned there doesn't have to be anything in the darkness. There doesn't have to be anything moving through the trees. Just by thinking there is something out there could be enough to ruin your life. How do you how do you like that for a Friday episode? You guys have fun. Dead Rabbit Radio. Don't look, don't look anywhere though. Get some horse blinders. Deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is gonna be our email address. You can also hit us up at Facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.